Welcome to Social Currency, where we give you the stories, information, and way too in-depth analysis to get you through your week. I'm Steve, joined as always by Christian. The funk's your brother right about now. Feeling good today, huh? Why not? Why <laughs> not? I mean, when some people ask me why, I ask why not. Indeed. Um, show this week, I can probably say uh, convincingly, this this might be the strangest one we'd ever do. It's, it's definitely up there, which is saying a lot because we've we've tackled some pretty odd topics, and this one this one definitely holds its own. Yeah. So I'd have to really roll decks through our episodes, but this one's a this one's a weird one. This week we're talking about the Detalov Pass incident which uh, takes us all the way back to 1959, January 25th, when an expedition took off in Russia. Russia. Yeah. Mother Russia. And despite what we said last week, I don't think these people were spies, even though we said most people who... We did. I think we said everyone who speaks Russian are spies. We pretty much committed... Actually, we committed the whole planet to espionage in some fashion, except us. Yeah, that's true. And then by the end of that episode, we had decided, I'm a spy. Yes, so, so really it was just me. Yeah, so it's just you. I'm in such deep crap. Everyone's spying on you. So January 25th, 1959, a group of 10 hikers in Russia are taking off for an expedition. Soviet Union, by the way, at the time. Yes, true. Uh, the Soviet Union, the USSR. Mm. And they're all pretty experienced. They are, now I don't know hiking, but they all had their level two certification and were set to receive their level three certification uh, upon return. Basically, so. they, were, they had the highest certification available to them at that time yeah and mostly college students uh you know in their 20s but uh really knew what they were doing here although there's a couple signs along the way that may tip you off that were a little bit ominous so they were heading to mount otorin which literally translates to do not go there (laughs) so not you know one would think maybe don't go there um but hey they were going for it so figured that was a clever name Right, yeah. They're like, what does that have to do with anything? Yeah, so maybe it was named on opposite day. January 25th, and then on January 28th, so three days into the expedition, Yuri Yudin was probably just so annoyed at the time, but in actuality, he hit the lottery. He was a mm-hmm. member of the expedition of the 10 people, and he had to leave and turn around because he had some knee and joint pains and couldn't continue to move. And I imagine at the time, he was devastated. There's also another thing here, too. So... He, yeah, he had rheumatism and congenital heart disease. Who thought it was a good idea to bring this guy? Yeah. I mean, this is not your picture of health. This is not the Summerton man, all right? <laughs> yeah. This is not, um, yeah, this is not necessarily the archetype of somebody who you'd expect to be going on mountain hiking expeditions. Like, you're going through the roster of people here, and you're like, yeah, we've got this guy. Okay, he's, you know, he's he's certified perfect. You know, this guy, yep, he's, he's, he's good to go. She's good to go, too. And then we got Yuri over here, and... <laughs> Yuri's hunched over in the corner. It's like he's like he's hacking up along and, <laughs> and uh, yeah, guys, I'm ready to go, oh, ready to go. But lived honestly, lived a nice, fulfilling life. He only passed away in 2013. This is 1959, so he, you know, he made it. He made it pretty long. Uh, yeah. Certainly, you know, several years longer than the rest of the expedition. Pay no attention to this congenital heart disease, despite the fact that we're going to be up in the mountains hiking. Yeah, that. Don't worry about that, little guy. He got out actually just about three days before everything really went south. So how this thing all ends up for everybody except Yuri, I could probably give you about 100 guesses and you're not going to land on one because this one is about to get real bizarre. Yeah. February 1st, 1959. This is the last known time 
that all of these hikers were alive. And we know that because their records from their cameras and diaries that were found at their campsite. So they're heading up to uh, Mount Do Not Go There. And on a care in the world. Yeah. Everything's going. What could possibly go wrong? And the weather starts to kick up and become problematic for them. So they plan to go a little bit further, but they say, hey, let's set up camp here in Kalat Sakil, which I probably butchered the pronunciation of. But the only reason I had to say it is because that literally translates to, and I'm not making this up, Mountain of the Dead. Mm. So on their way to Mount Do Not Go There, they set up camp a little early in bad weather at Mountain of the Dead. So, I see nothing wrong with this. Yeah. Things maybe maybe could have gone a little better. So they were set to you know camp there and eventually arrive at their destination sometime between February 12th and February 15th. Um, when they didn't get there, people started to get a little bit wary. Yeah, basically around February 15th was the time when they were supposed to send a telegram to you know the people that were kind of checking in on them, just essentially updating them on their progress. That date comes and goes, no word from them. They actually don't do anything initially, and partly that's due to the fact that delays were pretty typical, um, so they didn't really think much about it. By February 20th, though, the immediate family members finally raise some cane and say, hello, um, there's something wrong here. Why haven't we sent anybody out there? And that's when they kind of get it together. But when they do finally act, it's not like they all of a sudden get the Coast Guard or the military involved or anything like that. No, it's actually like the volunteer fire department. (laughs) Yeah, which is a, a, a weird concept to think about because you think of today, especially in America, when somebody's missing or a family's missing or a group of boaters goes missing for a period of, a you know, within a couple of days, they're scrambling you know, all the different government uh, resources they have available and they're doing what they can to find those people alive if yeah. possible. I mean, and especially too, um, not that this makes it any better, um, but you, you, these are these are students, right? They're from the Euro Polytechnical Institute. They're young. I mean, generally speaking, let's be honest, when young people are in peril, most of the time the world kind of responds because... There's, there's a possible tragedy there. I feel like they were in their 50s or 60s, like, ah, oh, they lived a good life, and, you know, they yeah. died doing what they loved doing. And Well, and their, mean, their ability to survive also is much higher because sure, of that as well. Sure. So uh, there's a lot of reasons. So February 26th, they start to find this campsite and what became of these campers. Right. The first thing that they find is that the tent that they come across has actually been cut open from the inside. From the inside, meaning they fled outwardly yes. from the tent. With haste. Yes. With much haste. To the point where they didn't want to just you know unzip or untie. They took a knife or some sort of... They fled. Big, big problems, yes. apparently. Uh, but then it gets crazier. Basically, they also find, uh, again, first of the bodies, they, they find literally only wearing their underwear and like a shoe. Now, again, these are experienced hikers. These are people that know what they're doing. They have some of the highest level of certification that's available to them. But even if they didn't, (laughs) it doesn't take an experienced hiker to know you don't go bolting into the Ural Mountains wearing just your skivvies. Yeah. So with them, and actually within six of the uh, campers they found, hypothermia cause of death. So... 
pretty straightforward. Sense. Straightforward. They're in, you know, the mountains. It's cold. There were three that died of physical trauma. And this is where it gets a titch stranger. One had a skull fracture. Two of them had major chest injuries. And one of them was missing her tongue and her eyes. Yeah, that's creepy. Yeah. I'm just going to call that. And even more, to take it a step further, the ones that had physical trauma had no external visible injuries. They actually said, uh, the authorities said it was almost like they had been hit by a car because it was that sort of of level of force. And the external, there was nothing to show. So you would think if they were attacked in some way, there would have been external injuries to show along with the internal injuries, but no. So... Again, six hypothermias, three by force, no external physical injuries to show except for a missing tongue and eyes. And the varying states of clothing is what's also interesting. So, you know, Christian mentioned a couple of them just in their underpants, a few more of them slightly clothed, and the last lot they found had more clothes but kind of were wearing other people's clothes from the campsite. Yeah, it was later determined they actually were wearing some of the other parties' clothes. So it seemed that this group had found the other group and they, they were assuming either A, there was nothing that could be done for them or B, maybe they went back to the site and got their clothes. Um, but regardless, they were clothed in that. It didn't save them either, but it, it was something that at least showed that there was an attempt there. Yeah, a couple other things from the report that are just kind of odd and interesting the bodies were said to be slightly radioactive which i'm not sure what that means there were no signs of any other people in the area so you know there was not like footprints or anything else the footprints coming from the tent there was only you know eight nine sets of footprints so nothing else to show that anybody was was in the area and people had reported who were in the area at the time seeing bright balls of fire in the sky around the time it happened which is just a weird thing to hear Definitely. Ultimately, the Russian government opened and closed the case pretty quickly. Their conclusion was a compelling natural force. That's what they put as the cause of death for these campers who were found disheveled in various ways. Um, I couldn't imagine. I think that's actually to be applauded. I mean, that's a triumph of PR. If you don't, yeah. if you don't know what the crap's going on, you just say, well, it was obviously a compelling natural force. Yeah. It compelled them to death. <laughs> sure. Um, so ultimately, you, as you would imagine, people have been trying to piece this together over the years. And we've collected some of the most prominent theories, which we'll get to right now in the breakdown. Let's break it down. Now it's time for a breakdown. Here we are again at the breakdown. This is always that place where we just really go deeper into the story, see if there's anything else we can pull out and Again, as we always seem to find, the deeper you go, the better it gets. <laughs> yeah, and there's some there's some definitely some interesting theories, which is what we're going to concentrate on today as to what was the fate of those campers, whether it was a compelling uh, natural force. I love that you call them campers, by the way, as if they're just like, hey, we're going out for some s'mores and a bonfire and a good time. Right. Yeah, no, not uh, not necessarily your your typical campers. No. One thing to just point out right from the, the office to say, you know, this was a category three trek, meaning that it's it, that's one of the most difficult. And again, the Ural Mountains are nobody's friend. So it was ambitious for sure for this group to be taking this on and to be going to the place where it, it, the names literally tell you don't go here. Yeah. Um, but 
what's wild is that, and I think this is what has fascinated people so much through the years, is not just that the unexplained cause of death, but it's the whole idea that like you have this group of highly skilled and professional hikers and they are doing something so contrary to anything that you would think they would do. And so the obvious question that arises is what, what made them do that? What, why is it that we find these, you know, a couple of people in their underwear and a couple of other people scrounging around for, for clothes and, and a, and a tent that's shredded from the inside? Like what happened? That's what everybody is, wants to know. And of course there are some people that immediately went to aliens. Why would they do that? And I'm not making this up. <laughs> it, you, this may surprise you, Christian, but there was an episode of Guess What Show on this. Oh, I'm going to guess Ancient Aliens. Ancient Aliens. Uh, uh, if you need an update on uh, that one, on Ancient Alien Astronauts, we've got another episode on that you can go listen to a couple episodes ago. Just go take a listen. Just, just, just go ahead and listen. Nice, uh, nice hour of your time. Perfect. Mm-hmm. So... Aliens were one of the suspected ones for obvious reasons. It's it's mysterious. There's radioactivity reported that was potentially there. Fireballs in the sky. So when you can't explain things, uh, I think aliens are a very convenient thing to insert because anything you can't explain, you could just say, well, it's aliens. Like, of course you can't explain it. That's weird. Well, even too, and this is something that, so it's one of those like cultural norms that you say it so much, you don't even think about it anymore. UFO, everyone, you, it's UFO, UFO. Again, UFO just means unidentified flying object. Could be a Frisbee. <laughs> it's something you can't identify. Mm. Is that a flying squirrel? Is that a Frisbee? Is that... Aliens. Aliens? We don't know. So we're just going to call it a unidentified flying object. But, yep, it's just it's just kind of par for course these days i think is is that well it has to be aliens and not to be totally dismissive because we like to come in with an open mind when we can in the podcast but for the moment i'm going to dismiss aliens because i think the next uh few theories are a little bit more compelling or a little bit more interesting i would agree but i'm going to throw out one more that's also not very compelling that came out the russian yeti <sighs> see i was going to save that one for later but you're going to but but if we're here we might as you're going to well talk go. about that being the most likely theory that has the russian to be yeti the russian yeti yeah I mean, there's a picture, actually, um, which we've got to, by the way, say where this came from. Discovery Channel mm-hmm. 2014. Yeah. And they really didn't provide any real evidence to back no. it up outside of, yeah, the one picture that um, supposedly came from their camera that has a picture of someone standing in the woods or something standing in the woods saying, this is a Russian Yeti and this is what got them. Now, if you look at the picture, it's pretty consistent with a regular human male so i'm pretty sure it was just a picture of a person from their hiking expedition but sure russian yeti why not so maybe a coat with a lot of fringe yeah perhaps or perhaps something something else else. yeah um this made me laugh because in truth i mean as i started reading it i had in my mind um a mutual friend of ours who will remain unnamed, Andy. Yeah, it's Andy. And uh, he told me about this book by Dan Simmons called The Abominable. And he liked Dan Simmons at the time, but this book kind of started to sour his his, his uh, taste of his books because beyond just some other problems in the book, the, the ultimate conclusion, I'm sorry if you were planning on reading this, but I'm assuming you're not, Nazi Yetis. That was like Nazi Yetis. Nazi Yetis, yes. Huh. So, you know, apparently, yeah, even in the Yeti world, there's national divide. 
there um, between countries. Racist yetis are the worst yetis, <laughs> right? You know, but but it, so as I was reading about this, I was just thinking Nazi yetis. When is it going to happen? And then it was like, oh, plot twist: Russian yetis. Ooh, yeah. Yeti spies. But no no actual facts back that one up. Here are the top theories that we have uncovered in terms of what may have happened. Number one, of course, is animal attack. Seems to make sense in the thought that, okay, if a large animal or animals came, you would probably want to get out of your tent as fast as possible and probably close would be a secondary thought. Um, so that may have drove them out of their camp. And then once that happened, maybe the storm was too severe to see and get back to their original camp. Um, again, possible. Um, hypothermia. This one is a little bit uh, more nuanced than just the, yes, we know they died from hypothermia, which is the case with, with pretty much everybody. Um, there is a condition that happens with hypothermia uh, that actually affects you mentally. It's called paradoxal undressing. And what it is, is that people who are suffering from hypothermia will sometimes remove all their clothes, again, in, in, in the midst of freezing to death, because of a perceived feeling of burning warmth. Yep. So there's that idea that for whatever reason, they all started contracting hypothermia. And then because of this paradoxal undressing, they just were like, it's hot in here and I got to take off all my clothes. Yeah. See what I did there? Yeah, I did. See, see what I did there? It's getting hot in here. So, so take off all your clothes. And that one, while it makes sense sort of on the cursory level for all of them to simultaneously get hypothermia and run out of the tent, you would think someone was of a good frame of mind. The other thing that kind of bunks that theory a little bit is that two of them had a fire going, which would indicate they were of some decent frame of mind yes. to start a fire. And then some of them having the other people's clothes on, right. meaning they were of the frame of mind where they were able to take the clothes off their peers, potentially after they were already dead, to then help warm themselves. So if it were hypothermia, you would think their mind was starting to go. They all wanted to kind of just, <laughs> it was getting hot in there. They were taking off all their clothes. I am getting so hot so we move on um avalanche is another one which again has some merit when you think of some people having the these huge uh massive injuries and avalanches definitely can do that that one also gets uh, debunked pretty quickly because the uh, area that they were in was not necessarily one that experienced a lot of avalanches secondarily to they uh didn't really find a lot of snowfall around or, or or at least anything to indicate that a massive mound of snow or wave of snow had come and engulfed the whole area yeah like because their tent wasn't completely buried there were footprints to be found yeah so i mean it would make sense if there was an avalanche that they would as experienced you know climbers and hikers get out their tent real quick flee to the woods where it would be safe because they'd have cover from the snow and eventually the snow would die off and you know, then potentially, you know, again, contract a hypothermia and were unable to get back to their campsite in the conditions. But, you know, again, um, like you said, the lack of evidence of, you know, the fact that they found their tent just sitting on the surface and it wasn't buried under, you know, four, four eight eight, yeah, of, of snow, snow. Yeah. that makes it, you know, probably, probably a little debunked. And then we move on to the next one, which this one definitely going to have to drop some science on you. And I will fully admit, I do not understand completely i've got i think a broad view we're going to try to put this one together uh as a group i think between our two brains we can yes. get ourselves about 25 percent of the way there on this one um which Maybe actually listeners will get the other side pulls into yeah because this one pulls into the concept of a perceived avalanche almost 
potentially. Infrasound is what we're talking about. Don't know what infrasound is? Gosh, you're dumb. <laughs> so stupid. Everybody knows what infrasound is. Good thing you're listening to us. Because we know words and stuff. Right. About infrasound. We don't. We don't. Uh, there is something, and I'm sorry, I'm going to mispronounce this, particularly because they threw in some accents, which, again, depending on which language you're using, those accents can, can mean any host of things. So it's the Caraman, I'm, I'm guessing, Vortex Street. Why it's a street, I don't know. Uh, this is basically... <laughs> it's the road it lives on. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's its address. Uh, this is a repeating pattern of swirling vortices. So think about it as, it, it, you know, the way a lot of them uh, scientists define this is there's a sound that exists just below human hearing. So it's almost like a dog whistle for humans in some ways. And they've done tests where this has been created artificially. It can also occur in nature, as Christian was saying, where it caused strong feelings of fear, despair, panic. Now, some people think, um, again, the oscillating pattern of the wind, it can be wind, fluid, or gas that can create this sound. Wind passing over the mountain in this case. Yeah, flying through just the right object. You know, in this case, it would be that sort of, you know, topographical, uh, you know, area that they were staying in and generated these low-frequency sound waves that essentially caused psychological and physiological symptoms in them that ultimately caused them to panic in some way, shape, or form. And some people think that it somehow convinced them that an avalanche was coming. And so that was why they fled, despite no avalanche, also could have just caused them to go nutty. Yeah. But similar to the paradoxical undressing, that once they kind of got out of range of this phenomenon, they, they then thought is that their right mind was somewhat restored and they're like, holy crap, we just left our campsite and we're standing here in our undies. We got a problem. Yeah. And so they tried their best to to rectify the situation, but it didn't really work out. Yeah, but at that point it didn't. So that's that's interesting. It's actually, while it's a known f- phenomenon to happen, that one is a little controversial, you know, within the scientific community. But at the same time, you know, a lot of people think it's, it's a possibility here and certainly would explain the sudden rush out the tent, wear what you got and then oh crap what have we done yeah i do have to pause one moment and think to myself you know depending on everyone and their sleep habits everyone has their sleepwear you know it just depends on your personal preference i wear a beekeeper suit myself you can never be too safe from <laughs> bees bee attacks yeah never know when a random bee attack is going to happen okay i'm not even going to talk about that let's yeah. just keep going but but let's, I think, all level set here and say, if you are in the mountains and you're in sub-zero temperatures, even in a tent, which we all know is not exactly the thickest thing in the world, you're probably, in my opinion, not wearing just your undies in your sleeping bag. Yeah. I would think you'd be head to toe in at least long underwear or something. Yeah. It's kind of odd to me. Yeah, that that one doesn't make sense. Yeah, um, unless they were getting jiggy with it. No, 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 no. Although there was only two women, so that I'm not going to go yeah, there. Let's not go down <laughs> that way. Um, but then there's another theory which also could potentially explain the orange orbs that they saw. That could explain the blunt trauma they saw, and that is military testing that was known to be going on nearby by the Russian military would also potentially explain why the Russian government opened and closed the case so quickly, why they didn't disclose their file for years, and that is that the military was doing some testing, and they were testing these things called parachute bombs or parachute mines that exploded right before they hit the ground. And spoiler alert, 
this is the one I think happened. <laughs> yeah, so imagine you're in a tent and you're staying overnight and you just hear a bunch of explosions happening over you. One, you could think that something crazy is happening. You could think, I don't know, the Russians testing parachute bombs over you, for example. Or you could even think... On Mount Dead. This is, yeah, on the Mountain of the Dead. Or you could think this is an avalanche and this is there's something happening here. Or you could think a multitude of things that would make you think, I need to get out of this tent right away. It would explain the radioactivity on the bodies mm-hmm. afterwards. It would explain the sudden fleeing without clothes. And the only, I'd say, wrench I'd throw in this one is you would think that there would have been more things damaged around it or something found by that first expedition that went out there that was sort of the volunteer expedition before the military. Unless the military got out there first. Sure. A little cleanup. One thing to back up on this, uh, these parachute mines, what they were, I mean, they kind of sound somewhat self-explanatory, but basically they would, you know, parachute down and detonate about a meter to two meters off the ground. So that kind of also explains to you why potentially there could have been that like high pressure concussion type force that would have then caused some of those injuries. Um, obviously we know again, would have caused them to, uh, to have radioactivity on their clothes. Um, but what's interesting too, that I thought, um, really kind of was, was big is, is that there's a theory that goes along with this is that they think that the bodies were moved. And one of the reasons that they think the bodies were moved is that the tent that they found was actually set up incorrectly. And again, remember, these are some of the most experienced hikers that would hike and attempt this 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 passage. And it's just odd that this tent was set up incorrectly. So there's that thought that, again, maybe there was a little bit of shenanigans that happened uh, somewhat after the fact that was meant to cover it all up. Yeah, and I'll walk you through exactly how this could have gone down because uh, I agree with you. This is the one that I think is the most likely scenario. Orange orbs over the sky. That's them testing yep. the bombs. Bomb goes off over the tent accidentally. They exit the tent as quickly as possible, causes the trauma to a few of them, so causes the internal trauma injuries, which would make sense. They yep. wouldn't have external injuries. Just like being hit by a car, a bomb explodes near you, right? They exit and they run. They get away. And then once things have cooled off, they're trying to you know get back. A couple of them set up a campfire to keep themselves warm. Then once they decide it's safe, they're trying to get back to their camp campsite. They can't. Uh, hypothermia sets in. Some of them die. Take clothes from the other ones, eventually working their way down as they die. And the missing eyes and tongue can just simply be explained by some animal in nature right. having a snack. Yep. Ugh. I should not have put no. it that way, but here we are. <laughs> but here we are, and we can't go back. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, to me, that ticks all the boxes. Uh, I mean, as as far as we can know, I think that to to satisfy as many different possible explanations, for my money, it works. There's been some interesting things, though. I mean, over the years, people, again, continue to try and figure this one out. They're, they're trying to understand it. A couple that I noted, there was a writer and journalist by the name of Yuri Yerovoy. Again, sorry, my Russian is not good. Uh, let's play some cards. About all I got. <laughs> nice. Um, in 1967, he wrote a novel that was inspired by this event, and it was called "Of the Highest Complexity." Now, granted, it's a work of fiction, so you can't get too hot and heavy on this one. But um, 
it basically kind of romanticized the incident and actually in an odd optimistic turn uh, made it so um, the only person that died was the leader, which we should mention the leader, Igor Dedalov, that's where the Dedalov Pass gets its name. Um, right. It's from him. He is actually in this book the only one that dies. Everybody else makes it out fine. Um, that's not intriguing. What is intriguing is, is that his colleagues held to the fact that um, there were alternate versions of the book. Uh, and these manuscripts were never published because of censorship, again, remember, Soviet Union. Uh, but what's crazy is, is that after his death in 1980, all archives, any of his photos, diaries, manuscripts, lost. Nobody knows where they are. Gone. So that's kind of weird. It's like, again, in writing this book, did he have alternate versions that were closer to the truth that he tried to get published, they couldn't get published, but again, he found research that maybe you know, allowed him to create this story. It's gone. We don't know where it is. Another thing that I find fascinating is, is that former police officer Levy Ivanov, who was there actually as a part of the search and rescue, he is still alive and he was recently interviewed and seemed to confirm that there were flying spheres that he saw around that area. Uh, so that's interesting. But but then also, too, he says that when he told his superiors in, in the uh, army about this, that he was given a direct order to dismiss the claim. Yeah. Some, so, yeah. Some corroborating evidence that could really point in that direction. Definitely. But even that leads me to the final thought for me on all this, which is I just can't believe that there's still interest in this today. I mean, to me, that's wild. I read this. And I think, huh, that's interesting. Don't really know how that happened, but kind of weird. But there are other people that seem to just not be able to let it go. Yeah, They're like, no, Reddit, no, no. Reddit threads about it. We need to figure this out. Videos like, about it. Do we? <laughs> I mean, Discovery Channel. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Again, maybe it's just the type of person I am, but I am okay with the fact that there are things in this world that I will never understand. They just are. And, and part of that is just the mystery of life. It's just kind of the way things are. And, and, and to me, it actually kind of makes things cool. I mean, you just can't know everything. You just can't. But sometimes the intrigue and sometimes the mystery just grabs a hold of people and they get all up and all up in there and have to have to find out. And I mean, here we are 2018. We're still talking about this. This is wild. Yeah. And the chances that like, there's going to be a sudden like snap crack the case are very low as they are in a lot of these things. You look at like Amelia Earhart or the, I mean, the chances of just kind of seeing like that was the thing that solved the case, like short of like very short of the, the, you know, Russian government uncovering a dossier that says like, this is what happens to corroborate the story or aliens coming down and saying, yeah, that was us. Yeah. By the way, we did it. Then I just don't know that we're ever going to know the answer. So it is, it is fascinating. I mean, I find it interesting and I'll fall down, you know, those, you know, dark, dark paths to continue to read through the subreddits and things like that about this to see people's different theories. But, you know, you also take that stuff with a grain of salt because how many people are making up evidence and how much stuff's confirmed. And, you know, there was somebody who said, oh, my grandfather had the diary of one of the people who was in the incident. It's like, no, he didn't. Like, probably. So, anywho, you want to make a list? I feel very listy right now. Let's make a list. It's the Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. All right. This is the portion of the show where we make a list that is uh, sometimes kind of related to the story, sometimes really related to the story. 
I'd like to think this one is really related to the story. Yep, it's about elephants. Yeah. We are looking at the worst things about going camping. And just like we eliminated the DeLorean from our list about the best cars in cinema, just like we eliminated James Bond from our lists of movie spies that couldn't be on our movie list, this is a list where we will eliminate getting killed in a freak Russian camping accident. So we're not allowed to put that on our list. It was hard. Can't go on there. We really wanted to fight over that one because both of us had compelling arguments to include it because we've all been there. Yeah. We've all been Everyone, there. It's very relatable. It's very relatable. But in this case, no. Worst things about camping, which, you know, on the surface, this is something that people pay to do. So They pay for it when they can't afford a real vacation. <laughs> I mean, we invented houses for a reason right like camping was what we did before we had houses but yet here we are people doing camping yeah so anyway why don't you uh you want to go first let me go first you go first so number one on my list of things that suck about camping nature which is like the entire point of camping so i can you elaborate I, elaborate? I, i could maybe touch on a few things sure um what i really want when i camp is i want nature but without all that nature like if nature could just turn the dial down a little bit on its natureness, then I think it'd be happy. And what I'm referencing is like bugs. I mean, obviously nobody likes it when they just get eaten alive. And again, that's just nature be nature. That's I mean, I get it. I'm in your your backyard. But come on, can we just maybe just tone it down a little bit? Um, ticks. Oh my gosh. Like I just it's since moving out here to Ohio, my fear of ticks is escalated tenfold because that's that's serious that's like legitimately of real concern yeah you get bit by one of those you turn into a vampire i know facts and i have yeah twice yeah uh you got better i did um but yeah i just there's just there's there's those moments where it's great it's wonderful you're out there and you're experiencing it in all of its grandeur and then there's those moments you're like come on man because you sat on poison ivy and now you got it all up in your nether regions and you're gonna be doomed <laughs> it's all fun and games until you sit on a red anthill that is true. that happened to someone who i went camping with one time they sat on a red anthill and they were miserable for the next like two weeks yeah so yeah, one of my favorite camping stories was just a pretty much start to finish doom trip where there were only like little <laughs> thimblefuls of fun here and there. But basically, the mosquitoes seemed to like the bug repellent that we were spraying on us because they attacked us even more. Yeah, they're like, ooh, they have a new flavor, Helen. Check this out. <laughs> Check it out. Uh, I ended up falling on the trail because my two buddies who had not provided me with a backpack had decided in their infinite genius to basically tie two backpacks together and it was a little bit awkward and it threw me to the ground when I did a misstep and so I had this huge gash on my hand which of course I have no first aid because we weren't smart and so it's just getting infected as far as far as I know and then of course too none of us brought sunscreen and we basically all got fried which made sleeping on rocks and things you know not the best yeah most times so so nature if we could work out a thing here where we just tone tone down the nature a little bit that would be great Be beautiful just don't eat me basically is what you're saying this one leads into my next one too though because there's kind of a tie here and so number two on this list is other people which is kind of the opposite of nature, right? And let me explain. So growing up... <laughs> Other bipedal hominids piss <laughs> right. you off. Yeah. Growing up, we only car camped. That's, that's, that's what we did. And I'd say for the vast majority of people, that's camping. Car camped? 
Car camping, yeah. That's when you drive somewhere to a campground and you pull up into a campsite and that's where you then are for mm. however Set many up days your tent you are. Or whatever, yeah. Yes, Got it. correct, correct. Now, it wasn't until actually after that failed trip that I started to uh, get interested in backpacking because I kind of wanted to get away from car camping because the things that I hated were, yeah, you're sitting there, you're supposed to be out in nature and then you got hillbillies three sites down playing Sweet Home Alabama until one in the morning. And that's not, <laughs> that's not nature. That's not being out in the environment. And so, uh, so I started then explore going in and backpacking. But that's just something I can't stand is that when you're in a campsite, again, if there's like not that many people, it's fantastic. Because, yeah, you're not, it, it is kind of like toning the nature dial down a little bit there. But, man, when you just get those obnoxious people, it's just so so bad. Well, and then one person who leaves out something they're not supposed to, and you have a raccoon or God forbid a bear show up because they haven't done their due diligence, and everybody is you know on the hook for that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right. So other people is, is I would prefer that they weren't there in my in my. If you're gonna have experience. to be in nature, you don't want it to be with other people. Right. Got it. Exactly. All right. Number. And then number three. And I, I think, you know, I, I know I've kind of said some odd ones, but I think this one, you, you, you'll be with me on this. Set up and tear down. Yeah, I agree 100%. The worst. Because, again, you're there to relax. You're there to just unwind, again, unplug a bit. And getting the whole thing set up in the beginning it just sucks because you're you're ready to just, just, I mean, you've driven, you know, several hours to get there. And now you've got to like figure it all out. You've got to put all this stuff up. And generally there's lots of <laughs> frustration and maybe some salty language that happens when the tent is being erected and you know when you're trying to get wood and all that kind of stuff it's just it's it's all sorts of bad and I, stuff. i'm like a person who has to fetch and turns into a gopher because i have the construction ability and the boy scout skills of a cabbage <laughs> so i basically am no help in that stuff and i only get more frustrated because people become frustrated with my total ineptness at it but i just didn't grow up doing it i don't know how to do it so and i prefer not so the setup and tear down i always dreaded i used to go on a whitewater rafting trip with my camp every year, which is awesome in, in West Virginia, the New River Gorge. And we would go there, we would set up camp, and then we would go whitewater rafting, and then we would eventually pack them and leave. And it was a ton of fun, but the setup and teardown, I dreaded. So I'm 100% with you on yeah, that. Yeah, the middle part is great, because yeah. once everything is smoothly running, then yeah, you got the fire going, you've got food you situated. See the stars, there's right yeah. your, your, your bedding is figured out, and the tent is, is great, and, and all that is wonderful. But then, you know, at the end of it all, then you got to break it all down. And then again, at that point, you're kind of ready to be home. You've, you've, you've done the nature thing. You're ready to, to go back to civilization. And now you got to just like, you know, figure out how all the crap that you got out of these containers somehow fit back into it because they seem to be now somehow different. Oh yeah. You're exhausted. It's like, you know, anybody who's ever taken a trip to Vegas, it's the trip home from Vegas. Like you go there and you spend a few days there Woo! and you're exhausted, tired, hungover, like whatever it may be. And then you got to pack your stuff and get on a plane to go home. Like the trip out to Vegas, everyone. Yeah. And they're like enjoying it. And the trip home, they're just like, you're zombies. And yeah. like with camping, it's like the same sort of thing. You're in nature, you're loving it, everything's going, and then you got to pack everything up to go home, and you're just beat. Yeah. So your three again are? Nature without all the nature. Mm -hmm. Other people, mm -hmm. you know who I'm talking about, <laughs> set up and tear down. Yeah, no, I like those three. Um, I have a three that I, I think you'll agree with as well. We shall see. Number one, bathroom access. Mm. And that goes for 
I don't know if there's going to be running water, toilets, showers, you name it. And if you do, it's that well water that smells like feet. So it's like you basically shower in, you know, you basically shower in hot water. Yeah, hot dog water, more or less. Yeah, it's just like you sit there and it just smells like, yeah, terrible. So at best, that's what you have. So bathroom access is something I'm not super stoked about not being there because even the best are the worst. Right, and there's always that moment when you first arrive and you're like, all right, let's see what the bathroom stitch is like. And you walk in and you're like, yep, pretty much what I thought. We yeah. got like a couple. Du- <laughs> we got a couple dukes here that no one decided that they needed to flush down the toilet. Uh, we've got someone who decided to take a, <laughs> another duke in the urinal. And um, no one seems to be concerned about cleaning this up. Yeah. And everything is wet. <laughs> I don't know why. Everything <laughs> all wet is wet. Yep. So, uh, despite the fact that all the windows are open, it still smells like yeah. a locker room. Yeah, it still smells like four foxes died in there <laughs> at the hands of raccoons. Yes. So, yeah. So, bathroom access or just general bathroom situation, number one. Number two, you talked about the people. Even the people in your camping party, I feel like everybody smells like either a campfire or body odor mm. or some combination of the two. So, I vary with you on that a little bit just because, first off, number one, I, uh, other than when you have left said campfire, I love the smell of a campfire. I mean, it's just a oh, great... I'm down with a campfire when it's there. It's like the it's next morning leave. I wake up though, yeah, and you're like, Whoa, and I everybody whoa, smells here? like a campfire. But if everyone smells like a campfire, then doesn't... does anybody smell like a campfire? <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But the bo one, yeah. Yeah, but I mean... the bo one, it's like certain people you go camping with. Love them to death. I'm not going to name names, but they're like, I'm in nature. I'm going to do nature. And you're like, but you could still wear deodorant. That's a good technological nah, advancement here we go. we've had since people lived in nature. Yeah. But um, so just the smell of people that exist when you go camping, I'm not super bullish on. And then at best, they're like, oh, let me go shower to wash it off. Cool. Shower in foot water. And that's what happens. So mm. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> foot water. So number two. Everyone smells like fire and or body odor. And or foot water. Yeah. And then number three, just sleeping on the ground. Like, we invented beds for a reason. They're now like posturepedic beds and sleep number beds. The point where like, we know sleeping and sleep position is very important to your health. Sleeping on the ground, on rocks and uneven ground and roots in a sleeping bag, which seems like it should be like giving you more cushion than it is on a tent that barely covers the ground. It's not a comfortable night's sleep. You have to sleep directly on your back at best. You turn to the side and your arm falls asleep. There's, you know, you're usually in with other people in the tent. So then if you move slightly, it's not great. Um, So just sleeping on the ground in general is not my personal preference of where to sleep. I prefer a bed, a couch, you know, something like that. Some people bring cots, but I feel like that's just a lot of wasted space. Yeah. Because, I mean, again, I mean... All kidding aside, when you go camping, you you actually are somewhat trying to remove yourself from all the trappings of civilization. Now, granted, some trappings follow you along, but uh, you're you're trying to again change your change your environment a bit. Well, if I'm going to do the cot thing, and so this is how I've I've come to peace with it, because like all or the, the trailer thing, where you're not even bothering with the ground, you basically are bringing your home with you behind yeah. the car. Well, all joking aside, like I do actually enjoy like nature, hiking, doing a lot of that stuff in the outdoors, right? But my preferred uh, way to do it is going to a place that's sort of out in the middle of nowhere, right? You rent a cabin where essentially you your phone doesn't work, you do have a bed, but you don't have, you know, like 
television or anything like that. Like, I like that version of it. I'm which sorry, is... I'm smiling because he's basically describing a horror movie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it's yeah. a cabin out in the middle of nowhere. You don't have cell access. It's okay, though. And, I mean, the doors don't lock, but, you know, you don't really need to. Who's going to be out there Along anyways? comes Jason Voorhees, as he does. No, but that particular that particular style of camping, while I know a lot of, like, hardcore campers are telling me that I'm a noob, I, I like the fact that, like, running water, shower, working toilets, beds i can still go out and enjoy nature i can be out late i can go by the campfire but i can get that campfire smell off me i can go hiking all day but i can come home to a an actual bed to sleep in but it's just more of a dwelling um that's at least consistent with i don't know like the 14th century versus what we'd be doing otherwise that's kind of my general mo um you know i've toyed around with getting the idea of just like a tent for my backyard because we're pretty close to nature here as far as things go like we got a lot of different kind of animals and things out there outside going really yeah oh yeah the things that we get in our backyard you may be surprised well that's ohio because i mean deer will come up to your door deer possum raccoons which uh, i don't get all sorts of squirrels these are neighborhoods and they're just walking around like they own turkeys there was a turkey vulture on my neighbors uh lawn the other day so no stuff that you're gonna want to stay in your tent right but like safe enough that you're in your backyard but like at the same time like i like having some sort of a dwelling to go to so that's sort Mm. of my preferred style of camping like you i've done that for like the years rv kind of yeah folk. and it's it's glamping right i mean that's what people call it oh you're totally glamping but it's like not like too crazy like i like you know i don't know that's my style of thing i've done that for new years before i've done that you know for trips before with my friends like that's kind of how i like to handle it i've done that when we've gone whitewater rafting at the very least a roof over your head with beds is fine even if that is the minimum of what you have i went whitewater rafting with my friends years after camp and we had essentially a cabin that was you know, six beds that were bunked and a cabin top. And that was it. So it's like we had a fire and a grill to cook and that was it. And that was, that, that is my preference to say tent sleeping on the ground, large group of people around you. You know, like I like having a little bit of space between you. So that's kind of my go-to. Sure. Yeah. You want some people there around with you as you go into nature. Yeah. Like the Donner party. Exactly. Exactly. There's always a spot by the campfire. Yeah. Well, I think we have, exhausted this podcast yeah i think that's a good time as any to wrap it up wow we ended up uh at a more much more positive place we from did. where that very bizarre story started and we even started too with the worst things about camping and ended on the best things about yeah, camping. we ended up coming all, all full Which circle. for you is basically just doing what you normally do but in the woods yeah it's it's for me it's just my life but in a different location right. exactly as it exists today which sure. is all i want so just change the scenery so um, if you guys are looking to uh, get in touch with us, you can always email us Please at do. socialcurrency1 at gmail.com. Yeah, I think social currency was taken. And if you're looking to get in touch with us on Facebook, we post a lot of content there. That's probably the best way uh, to check stuff out. Social Currency Podcast on Facebook. Yeah, like us, share us, comment to us. Yeah, let us know if you have a show idea. Uh subscribe five stars all that stuff is truly appreciated as always we really greatly appreciate you guys listening and uh we'll talk to you next week see you later